is titled my message this morning is Qualified for Inheritance. Um, how many know what inheritance is? Nobody? Okay, then I'm, I'm, I'm canceling you all out of my will. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Uh, uh, if, you go, if you know somebody, if you have a, a relative or whatever, an inheritance is something that you get after they pass away, correct? And they usually have it spelled out. They go to a lawyer and they draw up a document, and you become, have legal rights to whatever they passed on to you, right, as a living, as a living heir. So you would be the heir, and the inheritance would be whatever, whatever they uh, um, give uh, as far as... Um, the, you know, to whatever the contract says. Praise the Lord. Lo and behold, looking through the Bible, we have actually been heirs of Jesus Christ. Amen. This is kind of neat, though, because Jesus died, but then he came back to life. So he died, giving us legal rights as heirs, but then he came back to also help us carry out what we've inherited. So I want to talk about that this morning, Okay. Uh, a couple of things I want to go over. If you turn your Bibles this morning to John chapter 16, I'm going to start there. Interesting, I'm, I'm going to be reading a few scriptures also in Psalms chapter 16. A strange thing I noticed, not a strange thing, but it, what I kind of noticed, is John 16, the 16th chapter of John and the 16th uh, uh, Psalm 16 kind of parallel each other. There's a lot of different things in there. I'll get it, into it later. But John 16 and verse 15 says this. And reading out of the New King James, it said, All things that the Father, this is Jesus saying, all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I say that he will take of mine and declare it to you. I want you to see the wording that Jesus does right here. He says, All the Father has is mine. But now you think, okay, if Jesus is going to, if they're all Jesus, then Jesus would take what is his and give it to us. But he doesn't say that. He says, he said, all what the Father has is mine. Therefore, I say to you, he will take of mine and declare it to you. Interesting. It's an interesting wording. Because he's saying, in other words, the source for all of our inheritance doesn't go through Jesus. It comes through the Father. It comes from the Father. But it's through Christ as far as what what, uh, it gives us the right to an inheritance comes through Christ. But it comes from the Father. Remember Jesus said in prayer, he says, in that day, he says, ask of me nothing but ask the Father in my name. Jesus was continually pointing back to the Heavenly Father in his name. It, it seems like, well, it's just, it's just a thing. Where, no, it's not a wording. It's the positioning and it's the relationship. The Father, the Heavenly Father, uh, people ask me about church. Well, church organization or, or what's church to you? Church to me is a family. It always has been. We call each other brothers and sisters in the Lord, do we do not? Yes. Not DNA related, but we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. Well, that makes us family. We serve the Heavenly Father, and Jesus is the firstborn of many brethren. Hmm. Sounds more like family does corporation. Sounds more like family it does organization. Amen? And in the family, we, have, we are related to one another through the blood of Jesus, but we're also uh, heirs of the promise as family. Usually when a person passes on and they sit down with the last will and testimony, they, they put in a document saying what this person gets. And, and, and they, while they're living, they make this up. Then when they die, this document is, is given over. And then whatever they will to you, that's what you get. Can you imagine this? Jesus said, all things 
In other words, all things that the Father have are mine. What does the Father have? Can we say everything? <laughs> does he own the earth? Uh-huh. Does he own the heavens? Uh-huh. <laughs> he owns everything. What would you do with an everything inheritance? I mean, just to think about that. Think about that. Everything belongs to us? Hmm. Where would we start? What would we do? So here's what I see, and I'm going I'm to expound on this a little bit more, but here's what I see. I see, yes, everything is ours. Jesus died in the inheritance, brings us into the inheritance when he rose from the dead. Now, Jesus is alive today. He's not dead. He's alive. Okay? And, but what he does, even though all things are ours, we mature into the, into the deposit that he gives us. Amen? Some people, all you need from the inheritance right now is you need salvation. You know anything about salvation. So basically, guess what? You're in here. I was, I, was, I was going through my scriptures all this week, and I was sitting in the war room talking to the leadership this morning, and another scripture, I said, there's another scripture. I'm trying to think of the chapter and verse, and Deacon Jason comes up. He says, I know what you're talking about, Pastor. It's in Psalms chapter 2. In the Psalms chapter 2, now, I like this in the King James because it says it's a little bit different. I'll, I'll, get, I'll explain it in a minute. But it says in Psalms chapter 2 in verse 8, it says, this Lord says, Jesus, ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. I'm not kidding. King James Version. Ask me and I shall give you the heathen. Now how many, when I said that, you started thinking about family members that are your inheritance. <laughs> now, the word heathen in the King James, what it says in the New King James, says nations. But you've got to understand, if it, when you're talking to Jewish people, everything of the nation other than the Jewish nation was a heathen nation. So basically, God says, I'll give you the heathens. They're all yours. <laughs> what would you do with it? <laughs> We're going to need the wisdom of Christ on this one. <laughs> but I remember that. And when I first heard that, I was, I was on my way to Africa, believe it or not. And I've traveled with a, with, with a good friend of mine, and, and we got the connections. We're set up in West Africa. We're going to Ghana. This was my first trip to Ghana. And we were sitting in the airport talking. We're discussing things, what we're going to do when we get to Ghana and, and, and how we're going to minister. And, um, and I said, man, I said, you know, this is going to be a cultural shock. For, for me, I know Bill wasn't, he was been there before, but I said, for me, it's got a cultural shock. This is going to be completely different than our American culture. Even I was going to Latin American or Latin countries, and that was a cultural thing, but this was going to be a cultural shock. And he says, you got to remember, Kevin, he says, he says um, the heathens are inheritance. I says, hmm, is that scripture? Are you making stuff up? <laughs> sure enough, it was scripture. He said, they give you the heathen for your inheritance. He said, we have an obligation for the, under Christ to bring the gospel wherever we go, no matter what we think of that nation, was a heathen nation or an unheathen nation. So, so praise the Lord. But, he said that. but basically what he was saying, he said, I give you the nations. He said, we, at that time, we would have been to Chile, uh, Guatemala, different place we're going. He says, he, says, he says, look at those heathen nations. He said, God's given us heathen nations. But what it actually means, he'll give you all the nations as your inheritance. What would you do with them? That's the thing. What do we do with the inheritance? Uh, I mean, if somebody wills you a car, you pretty know much of what to do with a car. You get in and drive it, unless you're three years old. 
If you're three years old and somebody wills you a car, what are you going to do with that? Unless it's a little one you can push across the floor, not much. I mean, it's there. Yep, that's mine. What do I do with it? Nothing. It just kind of sits there. I don't know what to do with it. And that's kind of what, where we're at. And as we grow and mature, now you take that same three-year-old who inherited the car, and now he turns 16. We know what to do with that car now. So there's a, there's a maturity level that God brings us along and doles out the inheritance that he's given us according to our maturity level. Of course, at that time, uh, he told me, he said, I want you to be an international ministry. I want you to go to the nations. He said, I want you to preach the gospel to the nations. At that time, when God said that, I couldn't see getting out of Key West without things falling apart. I felt like everything determined, was determined on me. Of course, right there should have been a flag, what it is, that it's built on man and not on God. So God basically tore me out of Key West, put me on an airplane, sent me to a place like Africa, Chile, Guatemala, uh, Peru, uh, uh, Israel, different places, England, uh, uh, Ireland, and different places like that to travel those places. Guess what? Lo and behold, I came back, and everything was still here. <laughs> I guess it wasn't built on man after all. So praise the Lord. So anyway, so these, these are things. Uh, so... so 260, I counted in the King James Bible, 269 times either the word heritage or inheritance is there found in, in the Bible. 269 times. If something's mentioned 269 times in the Bible, would you determine that God's trying to say something that's important? It kind of brings a level of importance to that. I like this because what happens is what do I do with this? Now all of a sudden I'm overwhelmed. I'm going to get to the scriptures in a minute. But the fact is, here's what I found out. The best example, if I was to leave the, the message right here, the last thing I would tell you right now today, if you want to study more about the inheritance and how this works, I would point you to the book of Joshua. When Joshua received the promised land, that would be the best place to start, probably the most complete and the most descriptive of the word inheritance. You gotta remember, there had been over 400 years or more from the promise of Abraham to the time they actually got a hold of the promised land. All those years and generations going by, this story was passed down, passed down to every generation saying, we have a land that's giving us, we are a nation. At that time, they were the slaves of every other nation, including at that time was Egypt. Okay, they came out of Egypt. We just talked about community, talked about the Passover. They were brought out. Moses brought them out into the wilderness. Last Sunday, I shared with you about, about Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea was an oasis in the wilderness of Zin, which was a desert, which was one of the places. When I shared last week, I told you where Kadesh Barnea was. Without even realizing it, and of course, that's where they sent out the 12 spies. Remember? 12 spies. 10 came back with a bad report. 2 came back with a good report. Joshua and Caleb. When they came back, they all had a report of the same land that they searched out. But there was 10 representatives from the tribes that said, no, we can't take this land. No, the giants are too big. And they saw all the problems with this. There's something that should be a flag in every Christian life is when we see more of the problem than the goodness of God. When we see more of the problems than we see of the inheritance that God has given us, when the problems become richer in our life than the inheritance that he comes and gives, I think it's the top time we ought to take a pause. Say, man, where is, where is our Christian walk and where is our Christian life in this particular thing? Because I have to, I'm an obligation, so do you, 
to take what the word of the Lord has said and discern that for my life and walk that out. I have an obligation. If I love Jesus and I understand the crucifixion, all the things that he paid, I have an obligation to do that above all obligations. In doing that obligation, I'm a better husband to my wife. In doing that obligation, I'm a better pastor to this church. In that obligation, I'm a better grandfather to my grandkids, I'm a better father to my kids, and so on and so forth. In other words, I can be a better person and I can affect the things around me to a positive if I can do just that, take that responsibility of what God has given to, to me. Because he's not trying to take something from me, he's trying to give something to me. I'll get there in a minute, but I want to share something. How many here pray? That's good. More hands than I expected this morning. Praise the Lord. <laughs> not really. I'm, just, I'm kidding. But we all pray. Now, can I, can I share a revelation that God shared with me a while ago? If you pray like I do, and I, I, I went into the war room this morning, and I asked my leadership, I said, when do you pray? Do you pray in the morning, pray in the evening? I wanted to get a, a feeling because we, right now we have so many prayer requests that people are depending on us. I want to know where we stand. I mean, when somebody gives me a prayer request or a list, <laughs> I, I take that seriously because basically that person whether they're coming to agreement with our prayers or not, they're depending on us to come across to that. See, that's our inheritance. The, the ability to pray and to get something done is also part of our inheritance. So let me get ahead of myself. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Write this scripture down. I want to use this for kind of an earmark. There's more. I want to, I want to use this particular one. Jesus said this. He said, Come to me, all you that are labor, all you who labor and are heavy laden, he said, then I will give you rest. Let me read that again. Come to me, all you who, are labor, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus didn't say, get your act cleaned up first, then come to me. Huh? As many have said, well, I'm going to wait till I get my act together, and I'll go to church, I'll do what God... No, 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 he's not saying that. He says, come to me right now, the way you are, with all your burdens, with all your problems, and I'll give you rest. What do we call that? See, first of all, today, if I wanted to go to Jesus, how am I going to get there? Does anybody know the road to heaven? It's like I, I joke with, with, with some of our, our, our singers and stuff. I say, you know, get, you know how you get to Carnegie Hall from here? Everybody, how many know what Carnegie Hall is? I'm, it's an old joke. I'm old. So pretty, but Carnegie Hall from here. I say, you take US 1 north. Is how you get any place from Key West. I said, and the next thing you do is practice, practice, practice to get to Carnegie Hall from here. Praise the Lord. Well, how do you get the how do you get the Jesus from this point here? Because some people he seems very far away, even though we can sense his presence even in the room this morning. We go to him basically, the basic of basic, we go to Jesus by prayer. The way do we not? So how many people pray? I just how many people pray. We all pray. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Can I suggest to you this morning that when you go to prayer? If we do this properly and biblically, when you go to prayer, it is a rate of exchange. It is an exchange. In other words, Jesus says, you come labor heavy laden. He said, and I'll give you rest. I'll take your labor and your heaviness, and I'll give you rest. That's an exchange. Can I suggest to you also this morning that if you go into prayer and come out the same way you win, you didn't pray, you just complained. Mary and Martha. Hallelujah. 
How many remember Mary and Martha? I was, I was <laughs> I'm not, now I'm going to share this. In Luke chapter 10, we have a story of Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha, how many remember two women? They're about five miles outside of Jerusalem, in the temple of Bethany. This is where they lived. And Jesus came to the house with the disciples. Martha was standing there, and she was, saying, was, was, was working in the kitchen. Here's, here's the protocol. Proper protocol in a Jewish household. It is today, by the way. If you've ever been, I, mean, I have yet to go visit my in-laws in, in Israel where they haven't tried to stuff you before you left. I mean, with food, and they bring out the food, and let's go here. Or, or a restaurant. Oh, man, it's a real restaurant. We're going out, and we get, you, they don't care what time, day or night. I mean, we're, we're going we're gonna, to. And this is the protocol, even in social cultures today. Martha was doing the protocol. And it says in, in, in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, and it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house and she said, a sister called Mary, and who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him, talk about Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered it this way. He said, Martha, Martha. Now, understand something. When Jesus says a name twice, that is not a rebuke. Martha, Martha, when he said her name twice, is an endearment. And it's not a rebuke. Okay? So anyway, so I put that He says, you are worried and troubled about so many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the good parts in which you shall be not be taken away from her. In other words, Martha was going by the protocol like we would do. Uh, we, you know, we're, we're being polite, somebody comes in our home. Uh, we have our methods and means of doing things, and we have our routines that we do things. As far as Martha was concerned, Mary was sloughing off at her duties as the protocol because she wasn't making a meal. As far as we know of Scripture, Jesus didn't ask for any food. So she wasn't, it wasn't, Martha wasn't being obedient to Christ or, and Mary disobedient by not serving him meals. So there's no obedience, disobedience. There was only a perception of what we're supposed to do based on tradition, not on the actual circumstances or what's going on. Can I suggest to you this morning, church, we need to wake up if Christ comes, presence comes in and brings a revival. We can't just be about our business doing things, but we have to listen to the voice of the Lord because that's what's going to enrich us. Mary was listening to the voice of the Lord. Do you think Mary does this all the time? Do you think she's lazy? Do you think she's slough off on her duties? I don't. Okay, Mary and Martha, we see that through the scriptures, even at the tomb of Lazarus. No, no, we don't see that at all about them. But what happened was Mary picked up on the change of the season. Listen to me carefully. On the change of the season, there was something different about this visit. Jesus didn't ask for any food. Martha went on like it was just a normal visit and got upset and ticked off because Mary didn't act the way she thought she should. Are you here? I heard one person say one time, well, we need more Marthas in the church. No, we don't. We need Marys that are willing to listen to the words of Jesus to discern a season and a time that we're in. Because that discernment of the seasons and times that we're in only comes from the Lord. 
our inheritance, by the way, only comes from the Lord. The Lord speaks to you. You can hear his voice because you of our inheritance, by the way. Yeah. Amen? Jesus Christ himself has qualified us, get back to my title, qualified us for inheritance. Because he died, rose from the dead, we put our heart and trust in him and the resurrection of Christ, and now he's there and we are joint heirs, that's an inheritance, with him. Are you here? Hmm. So can I suggest to you that the Mary Martha situation is a clear description of what Jesus is saying from those that are really listening to what the Lord is saying or to those who are just going by habit. Amen? Just doing what they always do. Church is supposed to be like this, and church is supposed to be like that. I heard it all my life. And this church here has not been run by either one of those <laughs> religious churches that I came out of. Praise the Lord. Why? Because I saw something else. I saw at the feet of Jesus and, and, and surrendering to him, uh, I heard a voice that was kind. I heard a voice that was more than just a habit. I heard a voice that was loving, concerning, and also concerning for other people that he would actually change my life around to help other people. Something I wasn't looking for, but found anyway. Amen? I started saying this. I started saying the best way to describe inheritance is to look at Joshua. And here's why I say that. I started sharing about last week when I said about Kadesh Barnea. Numbers chapter 13, they come back and they complain, no Moses, the giants are too big, this is too big. How many has ever had too many things that we cannot do it? How many has ever had some impossible situations? Hang on to your religious caps this morning because we're going we're to explore some of them. But the fact is, because majority of the nation. Here's the thing. We needed 100%, not a majority rule. In other words, everybody had to be on board with a promise that God gave Abraham that I'm going to give them this land that's going to be theirs. Why? Because God wasn't building, giving them private land for their own use. He was building a nation. In that nation, he had to have not only farmers, he also had to have uh, the, the Levites, which is another thing I want to get into, but he had all different facets to make a nation a powerful nation. With someday, which was in Deuteronomy 17, someday God even promised a king like other nations would have. He was nation building. But they were slave mentality. When God had a nation building mentality, they had a slave mentality. No, we can't do this. We're not warriors. They're bigger than us. They're giants. And, and all the impossibilities that they've been to begin to throw up. And what happens... That's kept that generation from receiving the very inheritance and the promise that God had promised Abraham. Are you with me? Joshua and Caleb never let go. And when that generation wandered around in the wilderness until they finally died off, that's exactly what happened. Then God goes to, to, to Joshua, and Joshua 1, he says, No man will able to stand against you before the day of your, all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and give good courage. For to this people shall be divided as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give to you, give to them. Then he says again in verse 7, he just got done saying that I'll never leave you and forsake you, verse 5 and 6 from Joshua 1. Joshua 1, 7 says, only be strong and very courageous that you may observe according to all the laws which Moses, my servant, commanded you. And do not turn 
to it from to the right hand or to the left, that thou may prosper whatever they, they go. This book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Then you, shall, then you may observe to do according to it. Then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will make your way prosperous. Do you get the point? You do this, I'll be here with you all the time. Don't get in fear. Don't get, don't, don't get discouraged. Don't, get, don't quit. How many times did God tell, be of good courage? He actually commanded in one verse. He commanded. Here it is, Joshua 1, 9. I have, have I not commanded you? It's a question. Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid. Do not dismay, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. How many has ever been in a situation they've looked at and said, man, I need God's help in this thing? Oh, this, ain't gonna work. this is going to be ugly. And how many have prayed, God, please give me strength in this particular uh, uh, incident? I need strength. How many have ever prayed for strength in a, in, a, in a time of need? Hmm. Can I share something with you? God said all this to Joshua, but he didn't take out one giant. I'm talking about the Lord. The Lord didn't swipe the slate clean, which he could have. We saw what, what one angel did in Hezekiah's time, or, or, or Jehoshaphat's time. Killed like 100,000 troops, just one angel. I mean, there's nothing to it for God. But he didn't do that. He didn't wipe out the giants. Why? We're praying, and we pray this a lot. We pray, Lord, give me strength through this, confl- through this confliction. This, give me strength through this problem. Give me strength through this task. When God is saying back to us, you will get strength through that turmoil. I'll give you strength to get through that situation. Oh, my, we don't have enough time, and it wouldn't be enough time till next Tuesday afternoon to explain all the times in, in the 36 years of ministry that God has done that to me. Right through the problem, right down the middle. And come out the other side stronger. This is what God was trying to do with Joshua and a nation. I can't have a nation so dependent on me like the first generation. In the wilderness, the Moses generation depended on God for everything. Give us manna, give us this. Give us, and they complained about everything. We don't like this. We don't like, can we have meat every once in a while? Man is too much. Manna, manna, manna in the morning, manna in the evening, manna fried, manna boiled, manna. We were starting manna. All they had to do was go out and pick it up. It was free groceries. But they complained anyway. The promise that he promised Abraham, you're going to be a great nation. Nation building came. Strength comes to the Christian as a Christian, as we are Christians, through the conflict. On every side of the conflict, there's a promised land. Every pro- part of the conflict that you go through is a promise of God and a promised land. When we kick the doors in, we finally get it done. We say, thank you, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, this is going to get done. Right now, you are all sitting in, this, uh, are sitting in this auditorium. You are sitting in what many, many, many people told me years ago is an impossibility. Guess what? Enjoy it this morning. We've got air conditioning on, lights on. You've got a nice, comfortable cushion chair that isn't supposed to be there because this is supposed to be impossible. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Give me some more impossibilities. We'll build some more. The daycare that we have next door, the Lighthouse Christian Academy next door, is impossible. You'll never get any help. You'll never get any kids. Nobody ever want to go there. I mean, you heard it all. But God said, God said, 
We took on problem after problem after problem with the county, with this, with that, with this, barking, oh, on, on, on. And God brought it to us. And what did I learn through all of this stuff? Man, you never sign off God. Never write him off at all. You better get him in your equation. Amen? And I'm telling you this because we're living in a day and hour where this is going to be again. Praise the Lord. So we're praying, God, give us strength in the conflict. God says there's strength that's coming through the conflict. (laughs) So there's this push and shove. Praise the Lord. Get this. Psalm 16, verse 5 and 6. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. I was studying that this week, and I said, okay, Lord, you are the portion of my, that's, that's a good phrase, Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. What cup? What does it mean, cup? I studied it and studied it in the Hebrew, and I went back over to Greek and studied it in anyway, cup. What is that, what's the significant about that cup? And all of a sudden it dawned on me. Jesus Christ in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane was kneeling before the Lord. And he said, Lord, he said, Father, if there's any way possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus referred to the crucifixion, the beatings that he would take, the abuse that he would take. He he referred to it as a cup. Why? A cup becomes a portion of duty or responsibility to the Father. Let's go back and read this again. Oh, Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. In other words, I have the portion of inheritance with a cup of responsibility that you have given me that I need to fulfill. Then he says this, you maintain my lot. What does that mean? Verse 6, the lines have fallen on me in pleasant places, yes, I have a good inheritance. What does that mean? The lines have fallen on me. The lines, he's talking about the borders. In other words, David is saying this psalm, he's saying, God, you have given me lines and borders that are mine. In other words, from this line here is my responsibility to take care of. From this out here is not. But this one, and you have given me a good portion. I've got good land. I've got good inheritance. But the lines, the lines. In the promised land, when Joshua finally sat by and they got in the promised land, difference from the wilderness people to the promised land, wilderness people prayed and complained about God for everything. God, your sermons are too long. I, I don't have time. Uh, God, they said, well, you know, you fill in the blanks. You know, complaining. But Lord, I need the rent paid this month. I need groceries. I need a healing. I need this. I need that. I need that. I need that. I need, I need, I need, I need. And God is saying, no, the promise is this. Think about this. Joshua had to have all the men circumcised again because they forgot about circumcision to bring back into the covenant of God. They're standing on the river going over into the promised land on the wrong bank, and all of a sudden God divides the waters and splits the waters, and they walk over. A member of each tribe grabs a stone and carries it over to the other side that was already underwater. You got the picture. They got the Ark of the Covenant carried on the shoulders of the priests, and they're walking across, going over, and finally going to set foot on the land that God had promised Abraham. So it's a marvelous day. They take the 12 stones. That's what these squares are underneath the screen right here. 
representative of the 12 stones. There is 12 of them in there. I can count them lightly. Yeah, they're all still there. Praise the Lord. Uh, but set them up for future generations to understand the promise that God had given them. As soon as they, you ready for this? As soon as they stepped over, guess what didn't happen anymore? Manna ceased. The Ark of the Covenant was there. The power of God was there. Manna ceased. Where do we get our food? If God is not going to give us our food at this point, where are we going to get our food? God, in a place of food, gave you land to grow a crop. Remember he said, do what Moses has told you? In other words, get enough provisions to cross over because there's a, trans, there's a transition time. This is God's will. God's will to bring me in. God's will cut off my manna? Yeah, God will cut off your manna. Right here. <laughs> I mean, this may not be good news to anybody, but I'll tell you what, it's, it's, it's something to, to, to live up by. They had the Ark of the Covenant, they had the presence of God, they had everything, and now they have a land. And they come to the walls of Jericho. This is the first giant we're going to take out. And God says, don't take anything. This will be a tithe from this land. The first fruits are tithed unto me. Amen? And the story goes on and on and on. I could go through it. When Joshua finally conquers the land, he missed a few spots. There's a few corners of pockets uh, with the Jebusites who were in Jerusalem. David had to take them out, so on and so forth. But when Joshua finally sits down and he's got the job of giving Manasseh, Ephraim, all the ones giving them their section of land. Listen to this. He goes to give the land away, just as the Lord has said. Of course, he gives Caleb, Caleb, I want my mountain, all the giants on the mountain, I'm going to take out my own giants. 86 years old, he's going to take out giants. He just, he, he just he couldn't stop the band. But when it comes to the tribe of Levi, Levi doesn't get any land. That doesn't seem fair. Everybody gets land, but Levi doesn't get any land. Because Levi, with the priesthood, they have just enough land to sustain themselves. And God says to Levi, he says, you don't have land for your inheritance. What you have, you have me. I'm your inheritance. He says, so there you go. I'm your inheritance. He said, you don't have the land. He says, so he says, instead, to sustain yourself, I will you will get the tithe of the land, 10%. Where did our tithe giving come from today? It comes from the, from, from the Levites. Of course, Jesus reinforced it in the New Testament. There's New Testament standards also. But this was to, to, to settle, the, the, to, to keep the priest working in the tabernacle, doing all the things for God to keep that house sustained. God required all the other tribes to give 10% of their annual gross or whatever it was, and give it to the Levites, and that's what it said, because they couldn't grow crops. Money was from crops, money from flocks, and so on and so forth. And that's how God used to sustain Levi. But he says, no, I'm your inheritance. So we all get inheritance. I mean, God gives us inheritance. We got inheritance to uh, uh, Reuben and Simeon and, and uh, Issachar. Can't forget about Issachar. Issachar gets inheritance. Uh, up by the Galilee and, 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 and Judah down by the, Jerusalem. And they all get this inheritance and all this land is dulled out. So what, how does that pastor relate to us today? Glad you asked. Because Jesus, because the Lord said in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18, the eyes of your understanding be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. How many ever read that? Now, can we read it again for what it really says? Yeah. 
Okay. The eyes of your understanding be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of glory in his inheritance in the saints. Can I run this down for you? You get everything that was given to Jesus, you get it from the Father, and what the Father gets is you. You are his inheritance. What does that mean? That means when we go to God and he begins to, to instill in us whatever he instills from the inheritance, that when we get answered prayer, when we get uh, things happen to us, that is God's inheritance that gives him honor and glory back. That's how we do it. And that's why we live the life that we live, because we are God's inheritance. If we refuse, we wander around in a wilderness until we die off, so to speak. But when we're willing to take on even the giants of the land and all the different things of the land for the glory of God is when we become his inheritance. I read it again. The eyes of your understanding be enlightened. In other words, you, can't, you need an enlightenment. You can't see this on the, on the surface. That you may know the hope of his calling. Calling, that's something that he's called you to do. Hope of his calling. And what is the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints? Praise the Lord. Man, I knew, this, I mean, there is more to this thing than we, we, we meet. Let me get back to the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi gets God for an inheritance. So do we. What is the tribe of Levi? The tribe of Levi were priests, were they not? Do you know what the Bible says in the book of Revelation, that we have been made kings and priests unto him? Yeah. Amen? So we have the Lord for our inheritance. David writes this. Dan, can I, can I use you for, I shared this last night. As, as they, let me, as, I didn't get as many scriptures I wanted in Psalm 16, but Psalm 16 11 says this. It says, it says um, uh, you will sh show your path of life in your presence, and in your presence there's fullness of joy. I love that scripture. In God's presence is fullness of joy. Your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It, it, go back to Psalms 16, 8. It says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is my right hand. Now, wait a minute. I, David is saying, I'm the right hand on the Lord's right hand, and he's on my right hand. How is that possible? Come here, come here Diane. Um, make sure you get on camera. Can you see okay on camera? Yeah, okay. Okay, my right hand, correct? Yes. Diane's right hand, correct? Yes. If God is on our right hand, and I am on his right hand, so to speak, taking the words from David, then what would that be? That would be this. I'm on her right side, and she's on my right side. We're face to face. Does that make any sense? Does that help anybody? Yeah. Face to face. Face to face. Not following, not behind us. God just get behind us. No, God's not behind us. We're shoulder to shoulder on our right side. Now, why does it say right side? Why is it the left side? Very simply, because through biblical tradition, the strongest blessing comes from the right hand. Peter, outside the, 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 the temple, reaches down to the lame man who had been lame since birth, and he says he stretched out his right hand. Uh, uh, and, and he the, rose the guy and the guy could walk. They never walked before in his life. Okay, when, when Ephraim, uh, uh, Manasseh and Ephraim were standing before jo Jacob, Joseph's two sons, he said he was gonna get, they were going to get uh, the, the inheritance of Joseph because Joseph stayed in Egypt. So they get, so they get the, the half-tribes. Uh, uh, we're going to get the blessing. 
Manasseh the oldest, Ephraim was the youngest. So what Jacob did, he would put his right hand on Manasseh. Joseph lined him up correctly, and the left hand goes on Ephraim. But, Joseph, but Jacob does something different. He does this. That means his right hand went on the head of Ephraim, and the left hand went on the head of Manasseh. Amen. What does that mean? That means Ephraim, the youngest, got the stronger blessing. What does that, has that do to us today? When Jesus Christ died on the cross, we as Gentiles, that means non-Jewish people, we as Gentiles, everybody who's not Jewish is Gentile, okay? We as Gentiles, we are on the tail end of the covenant. Jewish people had covenants from Abraham. When Jesus died on the cross, okay, what happens is where the firstborn should have got the stronger blessing, God gave it to the Gentile, us, through Jesus Christ. And we became the product of the right-handed blessing. Because Paul writes this, being a Jew, writes this in Hebrews. He says, we have a better covenant established on better promises. The better means the stronger, the right-handed, right-handed blessing. Well, I threw that in a notice you charge. Praise the Lord. I didn't have that in my notes, but I, I put that in there. Amen. Hallelujah. I got three minutes. Can I finish this in three minutes? Praise the Lord. No. <laughs> but I will. Praise the Lord. Amen. I noticed something. How many has ever prayed for God's provision, prosperity, whatever? Here's what I noticed. When Jesus died, this is part of your inheritance too. When Jesus died on a cross, something flip-flopped from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And what flip-flopped was prosperity. Can I share this with you? In the Old Testament, I noticed that prosperity was from the outside in. Abraham had his flocks. He had everything because God blessed him. Blessed him. He made Abraham very rich. Solomon, outside in. Solomon didn't do nothing. He had, God made him very rich, made him a wealthy king and wise and so on and so forth. He said, because you didn't ask for riches, I'll give you wisdom and riches. That's what Solomon got in on. Prosperity is from the outside in. But I found something in the scriptures that in, since the New Testament, since the baptism of the Holy Spirit, prosperity now comes from the inside out. You want it outside, you got to first have it inside. This is what, let me give you the scriptures. 3 John chapter, two, or chapter 1, verse 2, it says this, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. Where's your soul? Anybody point to the soul? Are you aware you have one? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> okay. Soul is in, inside of us. Can you see it? Can you take it out look at it? No, it's, it's in there. He says, but your soul prospers. Okay, here's another one. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Everybody knows this scripture. But seek ye first the kingdom of God as righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek ye first what? The kingdom of God. Where's the kingdom of God? The Bible says the kingdom of God is in within us. Uh, Luke chapter 17, verse 21. The kingdom of God is within us. So he's saying, seek ye first the kingdom of God. All the other things will be added unto you. Prosperity starts from the inside out. Amen. Not from the outside in. Are we here? Yes. Amen. And you learned that right here in church. Praise the Lord. God, give God glory for that one. Amen. When God took last scripture, I'm gonna, I got one minute and three seconds. Praise the Lord. In Acts chapter, you write down the scripture, you can look up when you get home. 
Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. I've got to end with this because this is important. This is important information you need to take home. When the Israelites came to the promise, were leaving Egypt, as they're leaving Egypt, to us as a type of the world, we're coming out of the world, going into, the, into the Christianity, whatever. When they came out, the Bible says in, 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 the, in Exodus 13, 17, it says, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although it was near. In other words, it was closer way to go. For God said, least perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So what God did, he skirted them around. Okay, let's understand that. God skirted them around so they would not get discouraged. How many has ever had to, how many ever been skirted around a problem and have it leave? And how many never got skirted around and had to go right down through the middle of it? Can I suggest you this morning that when God brings you down to the middle of it, he has already released to you the triumph and the victory to get through that problem. In other words, he's already been built it. I prayed and prayed and prayed, Pastor, and the problem is still there. Take it head on. Take it head on with the power of Christ and in the name of Jesus and walk through that thing and watch how God brings you out the other end. Amen. Amen. Significant because God knows our strengths and he knows he's already put inside us. He's already released us. He will not release over us a promise that is premature. So he'll skirt you around it. But when we mature and we're able to take it on, I, I scratched my head for years. How can I be a pastor doing exactly what God tells me to do? And it seems like I got more problems, not less. But also, I had more victories than I used to have with the fewer problems. God didn't want me to look at my problems. He wanted me to look at my victories. You know the word this morning. If you didn't, it's not my fault. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Amen. I mean, I'm going through problems even today, situations. Amen. Some big, some small. It doesn't, doesn't matter. If you're going through it, Keep on going. So I, I got a plaque in my office that says this. If you're going through hell, don't stop. Just keep on walking. Eventually you're going to get through the other side. Praise the Lord. I mean, oh, God has already built us. I pray this for people, but God has already built within us the victory that he wants us to overcome. That's how we become overcomers. Oh, yes, I'm an overcomer in Christ. Well, how come you, if you're an overcomer, which is in your inheritance to overcome, by the way. Victory is your inheritance. Jesus got victory. You got victory. victory got, Jesus got victory over death, hell, and the grave. So will you, because it's an inheritance. Amen. All things. So it covers into all things. Yeah, I got the victory. I got the victory, but don't give me another battle. I'm an overcomer, but I don't want nothing to overcome. I mean, I feel the old saying. Praise the Lord. Getting out of the word this morning, let's go to prayer. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for what you've given us this morning. Help us, Lord, because we've got a lot to chew on this morning. But Lord, help us in the name of Jesus. We pray, Father God, that your uh, ability is within us. Help us, Father God, to look not at what we're seeing right now, but to look beyond, Father God, to the answer. We're focused on the problem. We're focused on the wrong thing. Let's focus on the other side. David didn't focus on the giant. He looked on it past the giant after the giant was already down. Saw the problem already solved before he actually solved it. 
And Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that vision and that insight to everybody here listening to the message this morning, whether in the church or on live stream. And Father, I thank you for all those. I thank you, Father God, for those that have tuned in this message, listen to, to the end of this message. May they be complete, Father God, in you also. And Father, may that word come alive in the name of Jesus and cause the things to be changed around them in Jesus' name. As prosperity comes from the inside out, I guess we could see it for most things of God comes from the inside out. As we go to the Lord Jesus this week, let's remember the transfer process. Amen? Amen. We're looking for a transfer, not just a complaining session. Amen? We're looking, to, we're looking for something different. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> amen? Well, praise the Lord. Thus concludes our...